Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Heart with Allison Jingris, distributed through Breadbox Media. I am joined today by my guest, Lorelai Sovereign, who is the author of The Edge of In Between, The Edge of In Between from Penguin Random House Viking Children's Imprint. That's impressive. Before I jump into my conversation with Lorelai, I just, um, a couple of things I just wanted to share with everyone. First, um, I have a new job. I am very excited to share with you that I have stepped down and away from many of my responsibilities at Wine Women in the New Evangelization because Father Peyton, the head of my St. Posse, surprised me incredibly when I did a novena to him, just asking him to, to ask the Lord to use my gifts and talents where he, God, saw them best used or where he wanted me to use them in these days. Within a few days of finishing my novena, I was offered a job with Family Rosary, the very ministry Father Peyton himself began. What? Saints are real. Just letting you know, heaven is real, saints are real, and I am all over the moon. I obviously will miss my work with wine. I'm still going to keep a hand over there. It's not like I'm leaving my wine friends, but uh, a day-to-day I will be more focused because uh, it's almost a full-time job over at Family Rosary. So please keep me in your prayers while I integrate into my new job. I'm still kind of helping with my old job and editing my new book, uh, Encountering Signs, Signs of Faith, coming out with Ave Maria Press, hopefully in September 22, if I can ever get through these copy edits. But we'll talk about those another day. But all of that to explain that Lorelei Sovereign, my guest today, Lorelei, this is the first time in the mm, six years, seven years I've been doing interviews that I'm interviewing somebody whose book I have not read. And first, I want to apologize profusely because that's kind of my trademark, it's kind of my thing. I always make sure I read the person's book from cover to cover, but with the craziness of my life, it just never fit in. But like I explained to you, I am a nonfiction girl. So I'm actually excited to hear about your beautiful fiction book. And um, it is on my list to read alongside my daughter this summer. So, Lorelai, tell me about the edge of in of in between. Why can I not say that? The edge of in between. Not hard. 
Um, yes. So my book is a magical reimagining of The Secret Garden, which so many of us grew up with, um, either through reading the book or watching one of the beautiful movie adaptations. And I wanted to take that story, I had an idea that kind of used that as a foundation and reimagined it. So The Edge of In-Between is about a girl who turns gray from sorrow. She loses her color and her magic fades and her entire world becomes gray. And she ends up having to move in with her uncle in a land filled with ghosts between the land of the living and ever after where she thinks she can maybe find her uh, the ghosts of her parents and be reunited with them there and that that will somehow make her better. But while she's on her uncle's estate, she finds a doorless garden that she can't figure out how to get in. But when she peeks through the cracks, she sees that it's entirely covered in ice, almost in the like it was frozen in the middle of dying. And she decides she has to get inside this garden. And once she's in there, she learns that magic faded maybe isn't magic lost forever and that maybe she can find her way to hope and healing again. So um, that's kind of a short a short synopsis there. There's definitely someone working against her healing in the story. So there's some peril and overcoming some tough and scary things. But it's also really deeply influenced by my Catholic faith. This is the most Catholic thing I've written to date. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk to people who share my faith and be able to say this is a book that you can share with your children and you can talk about faith with your children through um, that you can find in bookstores anywhere on April 19th. Well, my goodness, so many questions. I just like in in one little synopsis, I wrote down 20 things. Uh, so first of all, I, I, I have never heard of The Secret Garden. Um, it could be because I'm looking at your face. Our generations are probably a few apart. So tell me just real quick, uh, what the secret garden is. And I'm adding that to the things my daughter and I will watch <laughs> do this summer together as well. Yeah. So I grew up with a movie adaptation from like 1993, but it's actually a book by Frances Hodgson Burnett from like over a hundred years ago. Um, she also wrote uh, the little princess. Um, so just some like really like kind of canon, like classic literature, um, but not many people have done reimaginings or retellings of the secret garden. Like, like I've attempted to do, which kind of surprised me, especially in the middle grade space that I write for. Um, so it's uh, The Secret Garden. The original one is about a girl who's orphaned and she moves in with her uncle and she finds a garden there um, and gets to know her cousin and some other people who live on the estate. Um, it's not a fantasy book, though. It's um, very... Um, it's like it's fiction, but there's no magic involved. And I definitely twisted some elements of it and made them my own in this retelling. Oh, I love that. Okay, so our, our generations aren't that far apart. So I should have heard of it. <laughs> I am not 100 years old. Okay, if you're not a big fan of fiction, it's okay that it wasn't on your radar. <laughs> well, this is the scariest thing. I, I have a degree in English literature. Like that's my bachelor's degree. So I have read some fiction. Maybe that's why I no longer read it after four years of being engrossed and having to read everything. Somehow, uh, The Secret Garden, however, escaped me. But my daughter, who is an, uh, adopted in some sort, an orphan, um, this, this story is even more exciting for me to share with her. And she really loves fantasy. Um, she, does she does have a little bit of a cognitive 
um, disability. So there's certain things about fiction that I have to really explain to her. Like uh, she's also deaf. So the idea that, you know, we'd show TV shows and stuff and the views, I love magical um, things like that, but then she'd see animals talking and I had to explain because this is not something you think about, right? Like yeah. animals don't actually talk. Oh, right. they make a noise, which I can't explain because there's no sign for noises. But like anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just interesting. So so why why magical fiction, Lorelai? Why what what drew you to this type of writing? Yeah, that's a really good question. This is my second novel. Um, my debut is called The Circus of Stolen Dreams, and it's also in that magical realm. And I think for me, um, growing up, I had a lot of things kind of that were tough in my life when I was at this middle grade age range. Um, and I found escape in stories that took me to different places. And I was just one of those kids who just really found comfort in books and being able to have adventures with other characters. Um, and now as a parent, I have four children. I really want my kids to be able to read stories of kids who face tough or even scary things sometimes and who find the bravery and the strength to come through it and to have them see stories where good wins the day at the end. And I think working with magical worlds and magic systems really gives me a chance to induce like some introduce some wonder and um, whimsy. And I just love the whimsical and I love wonder and I love just that um, anything is possibleness of childhood. So I really gravitate towards stories that have magic in them. And that's kind of um, where I intend to stay for a while. Um, a couple of other things that came from that. So um, I can see why it's very much drenched in your Catholic faith, because one of the things I love about the Catholic faith is it's very mystical. Mm -hmm. It's not magical. It's mystical. And I think growing up, I didn't learn that. I learned like very, you know, cut and dry of like there's the God and you have these rules and you do them. And if you don't, you go to hell and good luck with that. And that is not at all like our faith is filled with mysticism, with saints who appear. Uh, by, uh, Padre Pio, one of my favorites, by located. He he was known to be in World War II helping bombs, not kill people like this is a very mystical, a beautiful faith a, a blessed mother. How many times has she appeared in, in these apparitions? It's mystical uh, miracles. We are a faith of miracles. I mean, Jesus, like, he started those pretty quickly. Um, it actually, his entire ministry was kicked off with a miracle. Yes. Now that I think about it, hello, wedding feast, of Cana. Yes. Um, so tell me, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the Catholic um, elements in the edge of in between. Again, we're talking today with Lorelai Sovereign. Yes. Um, so when I was writing this, I, you know, I kind of wondered, um, you know, because I'm being published through a very traditional publishing house and I was writing and I was like, I wonder if they're going to ask me to like pull back on some of these things. And they didn't, which I think um, was such a gift because I write from deeply personal places and I'm a Catholic convert. I became Catholic in 2016. Um, and that part of me is so deeply ingrained that it can't help but just come out. So some of the very Catholic elements of this are the whole thing basically takes place in um, a, an interpretation of purgatory. It's a transitory place where the souls wow. of people who have died make their way to ever after. And some of them are running 
to ever after, like they can't wait to get there. And some of them are walking slower, like they're still wrestling through some things. And some of them are standing still because they're, they're struggling to like, like let go of some attachment of some kind. Um, That's phenomenal. I'm so excited that I can't wait. See, I knew if I spoke to you that I would get excited and for the first time in like five years read a fiction book. Yes. So (laughs) I I was really um, influenced by C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. And I know he's not technically Catholic, but I know he's beloved by Christians all over um, and how he how he wrote this transitory story in The Great Divorce. And I wanted to do that for kids. So it truly is like a way to look at purgatory. And there's one particular ghost you get to know there who learns to let go of the things he's holding on to. And you see him transition into ever after at the end. And it's just this really beautiful moment that I think Catholics will truly relate to. Um, It also deals very deeply um, with redemptive suffering and the Mm. suffering we can't avoid here, particularly grief and loss. And how that suffering can be transformed into something beautiful. There's one point where one of my main characters um, cries in the garden and she thinks it's going to make the garden freeze over again, but it actually causes flowers to sprout up all around her feet. So the idea that we can have something really, really bad happen or something like that's really tough that we're going through and that it can become something beautiful is the essence of our faith, right? That's the cross like that. That's redemption. Um, So that's deeply in there, as well as theology of the body would be like the third thing I would say is in there. The fact that every single person has dignity and has a purpose and um, that that we are made to be gift to the world and to offer our lives as a gift and to use our talents to to honor our creator is also very much a part of my story. Wow. Well, one of the things I just thought of was just that I, as we're entering into Holy Week, you cannot have Easter without Good Friday. And I also just made a note over to talk to my uh, director of education at um, a faith education at our parish, because every summer we try to do a book club. And this, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is such a perfect, because we want to, we always, she always, not me. She's a teacher. I just give her ideas because I know books. But we, we look for a fiction book for the kids to read over the summer that is drenched in the Catholic faith. And ah, I'm so excited. The edge of in between is it. I'm going to send her, literally going to email her as soon as we finish with oh. our interview. But I was also thinking, you know, for the adults to read alongside with the kids to read The Great Divorce, because C.S. Lewis was actually... Um, on his way to becoming a Catholic when he passed away. So he is beloved by uh, all Christians because he just, his faith was incredible and his writing to express that faith, as we know, also incredible. So yeah. the summer book club for the adults may be the great divorce, but great the, edge, the edge of in between will be fabulous for our kids. And I also, you know, parents, I know I like to read what my kids are reading and it sounds like I will be thoroughly, um, engrossed and enjoy i just one technical question for you so stephanie yeah. lancer who's also a fiction writer um a biblical fiction writer one of my good friends i always ask her like do these ca- well i don't always would but do the characters speak to you like this is a technical question about writing because i i find this fascinating as a non-fiction writer do you hear these characters do they kind of introduce themselves to you like how do you write a fiction character So my process kind of varies. It usually takes me 
a couple drafts until I really know who they are and they start like having full conversations that I can just kind of transcribe. So with the edge of in between, there was actually a point where I had to uh, what we call like white page the whole thing. And I had to start completely over because um, in order for me to get it right, I had something flawed in like my premise at the um, at the very beginning. In the original Secret Garden, the main character doesn't have a very good relationship with her parents. Um, and I had started with that same premise, but it didn't work in terms of where I was trying to go with the story. So I had to start over and rewrite it with her parents being incredibly loving and wonderful. Um, and that put it all in the place. So I had to start it over at that point. And when I did that, then everything started flowing, but I, I do have to spend some time with them to kind of figure out who they are. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a hard process, but it's always really good when I, when I know them and I'm ready to go. Well, you just helped me tremendously. So it's all about me today. It's we're talking with Lorelai Sovereign about her book, The Edge of In-Between. But as we know, it's always about Allison. I'm actually um, part of my, my book that I'm writing. Each chapter has a little sidebar about the saints. And I went to bed last night just saying it's just not working. It's just not working. And the fact that I'd have to wipe them out and rewrite them was making me feel quite nauseous. But I see that there might be some real benefit um not to my editor but <laughs> since, since it was due two days ago but um thank you for just just the insight i mean that's the beauty of uh, writers or writers right like the yep. what it's just such a and sometimes you know what laura laura we have to do that in life right we just have yeah. to white page it yeah in our faith that's isn't that what confession is we like white page her life yeah. and start all over again absolutely and honestly like my husband found me crying when i realized i had to do that but it it turned out okay and i knew it would be worth it and now i'm really proud of it and i'm so glad i made that change um but he he like walked in and he's like are you okay and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> well i feel your pain I also pray, pray that I feel your success. And I really look forward to sharing the edge of in between, not only with my daughter, but with my whole parish. What a, I, I would encourage anyone listening to consider bringing in the edge of in between as a book club for your young, for your youth group, for your religious education program. I, I came to the faith through Bible study and through book club. And I think sometimes we forget that will work beautifully for um, young people as well. Yes. And if anyone um, does end up using it, um, either with your family or with a parish, I am always happy to, um, if it's with a family, I you can send me a message. I will send you like a bookmark and some stickers. And if you use it with the parish, I will, I'm happy to like do a virtual visit um, to chat about the book or even in-person visits um, as well. I love meeting with readers virtually or in person. It's um, I didn't get to do that as much with my debut because um, it was uh, 2020. So ready for all the all the talking about books this time. Okay, now I'm gonna share it with the diocese, which I also happen to work for here. Oh. So <laughs> yes. the, the Catholic schools uh, are getting an email. So I, it's, it's, this is exciting. This is, it's a hard, you, you, you tackle a really hard topic to share with kids. They don't really wanna hear about redemptive suffering, but when you frame it in such a beautiful way as I'm listening to you speak, I think it's a way that we could all learn from. And again, you can't have Easter without Good Friday. Yes. Um, as we wrap up our time together, Lorelai, what would you like, um, you know, with your just some final thoughts about the book and, and encouraging those who might be interested in reading it? 
Yeah, um, so it's available um, now for pre-order. It releases on April 19th um, and pre-orders and any talk, even just sharing the book with people helps so much, um, especially since my first book kind of came out during a rough rough time. Um, I guess I would also just ask for people to pray for me. I um, am sharing this book with uh, lots of schools coming up, some public, some private. And so I just pray that this book will find the readers it's meant to find and any prayers for me as I as I send this out in the world would be so appreciated. Well, you can account, you can count on mine. It was such a pleasure meeting you. Um, I've been following you on social media for a long time and I know we're running some of the same circles. So it's such a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm very excited for you and what God has for you because he's obviously gifted you tremendously. So thank you, Lorelai, for spending thank this time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. We have been speaking with Lorelai Sovereign, her new book, The Edge of In Between, coming out April 19th. I'll have all the links in the show notes. You have been listening to A Seeking Heart with Allison Gingras, distributed through Breadbox Media. God bless. <laughs>